Chapter 10, Not So New Normal and Same Old Crazy. Washington, D.C., May 2041. The next day, Addie was up early and out of the apartment, grateful for her trip to Kentucky that would provide some solid distraction. Quinn's people on the D.C. police force knew state troopers in Lexington who were ready to talk about Cody, the stable boy. She made some last-minute adjustments, left a note for Rio and Lars, and booked an early afternoon flight for racing country. Addie knew there had always been cattle-like acceptance among the youth enrolled in the guild. Their prowess in athletics, modeling, and the sensual arts had elevated most of them to superstardom. The rest didn't fare so well. Cody Whitsford, more blessed with looks than brains, should have disposed of that one empty bottle of barbiturates he'd found with the dead horses, rather than bringing it to the stable manager, who recognized a problem that could get out of hand. The boy had never been good at keeping his mouth shut. He had been inducted into the guild in the same year that Lars and Rio entered, although Cody, at 15, was in the older group. He had met them when a hand-picked litter of youth first visited Portiana in Washington, D.C. for their auditions after the ceremony. She chose the three of them for a filmed menage a trois as a special package for her premium-level clients. The uploaded version was a success and had boosted Cody into his solo career in the adult film industry at age 16. The Guild was successful in dodging investigations by the private watchdog groups that had been launched after Cody gave interviews and let his real age slip. He was given a second chance in the slightly milder photojournalism field of adult entertainment, until he crash-landed into a pile of cocaine on his 18th birthday. He was discharged from the Guild, but found the stable job in Lexington to recover some semblance of a life. The day Cody had turned the narcotics over to his stable manager, the blow to his head left him at the feet of said manager. When he regained consciousness, he was duct-taped in a car trunk. His subsequent death by drowning was ruled a suicide. By the time Addie arrived in Lexington, the state troopers had all gone silent. No one remembered anything about the incident except that the horses had been killed by terrorists. There was no record of Cody working there, and after her interview with the stable manager was canceled, Addie was out of leads. The president's campaign for sweeping powers was in full swing, in the tearful and fearful aftermath of the valiant 21 equine funeral. On the plane back to D.C., Addie watched the president address the country yet again. My dear people, it is with great pride that I announce the success of Operation Constantine. The entire Mediterranean basin has grown stronger due to the embrace of American arms. Our American armed forces and Italo-Greek forces loyal to our interests in the region surrounded the islands of Corsica, Sardinia, Sicily, and Crete at dawn today and fired warning salvos at the terrorist cells on those islands. 
Shortly thereafter, our intrepid American Marines simultaneously landed on the islands as the freedom fighters of those four islands provided support and secured the sea. I am proud to announce that at the same time, American forces, along with Southeast Asian forces loyal to our interests in the region, took control of Indonesian industrial facilities on the island of Sumatra, and we have swept across the maze of islands to recapture the national capital of Jakarta. More blockades have been ordered in a bold move that showed the supremacy on land and sea of the American eagle. Although protests have occurred here at home, let me be clear that we brook no troublemakers, domestic terrorists, socialists, or anarchists to take shelter behind our flag or constitution. I am announcing today that we will successfully curb the abuses of the First Amendment that our founders ignored in their naivete. We will mute any and all efforts at weakening our great lunocracy. Keep in mind that I'm not talking about censorship per se. This is information monitoring in the service of securing this great nation. Addie remembered the purge of treachery in 2035 and had an unsettling feeling in her gut, as did Quinn. She knew too many friends and colleagues who, six years ago, had been censored by cloth and chloroform in back alleys, disappeared, and then resurfaced dead. Many more went unreported. And now, government-sponsored anti-terrorist rallies were being held. Victories were announced daily, and many voices of resistance were silenced. It was just like in 35. Protests had been reported back then as sniping and petty bickering against the American patriots, upholding the best interests of the American people. It was all beginning again and with even more rigor. We have evidence in our possession, the president continued, of a vast electronic conspiracy against our great nation. I pledge to you that we will be monitoring all communication coming from the terrorist protesters and their socialist and anarchist co-conspirators. We will follow all social media threads from every person of interest in the country. Of course, those who have done nothing wrong and are not engaged in any nefarious activity against our great nation have nothing to fear and will welcome this upgrade in security measures. In fact, you, my dear people, are to be rewarded. Whenever names of the criminal class are turned over to our information ministry, you will receive a substantial cash payout. This will be on top of the weekly programmed information for security stimulus raffle. Now, the Ministry of Information will add $500,000 to the regular $250,000 prize with the names drawn from our newly generated list of cooperative citizens who have turned in any enemies of the state. Remember, more names turned in improves your chances of winning. Information Minister McDermott and I are confident that true patriots will come forward willingly, enthusiastically, and passionately to share this crucial security information. 
Addie returned to Washington with nothing but a growing dread. She saw Rio's text the next day as she headed downtown for the weekly journalist's breakfast. Her colleagues saddled up to the buffet at the Greek diner, a buzz with the events oozing over the capital and the nation, like a syphilitic eruption. She tried to find a solitary spot in a corner, but Quinn pulled her to the 18-seat table in the center of the room. She set her bag down and followed Quinn to the buffet. Addie, you're later than usual. I thought you were sick or something. They got feta in the eggs today, and they're amazing. Quinn sloshed his belly against Addie's back as he pushed her toward the all-you-can-eat troughs. Chomping bacon as he overflowed his plate, he spewed, This crazy world makes me eat more, and reached across her for more potatoes. The island invasions, you mean, right? Addie scooped some eggs from the bottom of the pan, then left them there and grabbed toast. She hated buffet food, but found the gathering helpful for her story leads, new ideas, and the camaraderie, brutal as it was. I need some coffee. She sat down across from Quinn and nibbled at the toast. Quinn swallowed and said, Oh, Christ, no, that's so yesterday. The big news about the hearings, you know, the censure and everything. Well, sure, I've heard that. Talk about old news. He tapped a greasy finger on her plate. No, no, not just Wiley. Now the Lunicans are sharpening their knives and gunning for some big-name admin people. Like? Like Hanover and the, the Secretary of State? Addie's screech silenced the room. Someone down the table yelped, Secretary Hanover probes hookers in government. The crowd roared and pounded the tables, howling its approval. Or what about the one where Hanover and Wiley are in the hotel room and they set up the bipartisan emission into the oral office? Christ, the headlines are endless. Addie looked over at Quinn, whose face was bright red with sweat. Those jackasses don't know what's going on, Addie. Ignore them. When the cackling died down, she whispered, What are you talking about? I haven't heard anything about Hanover. Drink some water. You always let them get to you. Quinn gulped and exhaled. Holy shit, Addie, it hit the wire late last night. The Lunicans set their sights on him and are not letting go. They're calling him before the commission this afternoon to answer charges about running an international prostitution ring. Now Nettlecombe is setting up an executive committee to investigate Lunican finances. Words out that the Lunicans will get some other group to undo everything the administration is threatening. This is not getting any better. She looked up and took his hand. Thanks for the update, Quinn. She sipped her coffee as tears welled up. Um, I broke it off with Billy last night. You did? Yeah, funny, right? He backs out and I take him back three times, but I'm the one who ends up giving him the final get the hell out of my life. Quinn fumbled with his cell phone and looked up at her. How are you doing? She smiled. I'm fine. Then burst into tears. He scooted closer and wrapped his arms around her. Hey, Han, don't cry. He's never been good enough for you. 
you'll see, after it stops hurting so much, you'll find somebody better. She raised herself up and kissed his cheek. I don't even want to think about that, but thanks. Well, come on, I'll give you a ride to wherever you're going. They were about to leave when she slumped back in the chair. Uh, forget it. We've got a couple hours before the hearings start up again. I'll just park myself outside, make some calls, and, you know, check some sources. She read Rio's text. Good morning. How are you feeling? And dialed his number in answer. Hey, Rio, thanks for the text. And I'm better. Sorry I had to split on you guys so early yesterday, but I had to follow up on a story that went nowhere. I feel pretty good, actually, my guts being in tatters notwithstanding. She found Rio's chuckling delightful. What are you two doing? Lars is still sleeping. The last of the meds are fully kicking in, so he's staying put, which is good. Just make sure he's taken all the meds and that he stays inside. Yeah, he's staying here for a while, for sure, except he has uh, he has a job tonight. The cafe stays open late? No, not that job. Ah, he needs to stay home. I know, I tried to tell him. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that he's your responsibility. He's an adult, sort of. Addie fiddled with the spoon in her cold coffee. Rio giggled. Well, I was just going to see if you're not busy later on. We could grab lunch or something. But you're, you're probably busy. Never mind. Some other time. I mean, like when Lars is okay. No, that would be nice. Today, I mean. There's no reason why you and I can't go. I had half a piece of dry white toast and the dregs of cold coffee. I'm starving. Great! Rio failed at not sounding too excited. I mean, what's a good time for you? I've got nothing all day, at least nothing I can't miss. It's a mental health day. How about noon at that Ethiopian place near you? Okay, see you then. Having met up, eaten and exhausted most topics of conversation, they both settled into their first period of silence. It was after 4 p.m. when Addie stood up and brushed Rio's arm. My God, it's almost dinner time. Well then, how about dinner? I don't think I'll be ready to eat again till later. Oh, sure, of course, no problem. Look, I, I should get going anyway. Addie laughed. Wait a minute, I didn't say no, I just said not yet. Great, um, how about a full tour of my place? Then we can fix something to eat there. Sounds good, let's go. Lars rushed into the apartment that night around 11 o'clock. Hey, Rio, I decided not to stay over there. Wait till you see what I got out of him. Lars shut the door and noticed Addie's purse on the chair. Rio opened his bedroom door and stepped into the living room wrapped in a towel. Hey, um, yeah, I just assumed you'd crash there. Yeah, I thought so too, but his wife came home earlier than expected. Good thing they have a trellis off of their bedroom balcony. Um, did Addie leave her purse? Oh, that, uh, 
Yeah. The bedroom door opened and Addie walked out in Rio's bathrobe. Everyone's cheeks flushed and Lars barked. Oh, well, that explains the purse. <laughs> well, enjoy the night or maybe continue enjoying the night. He let out another nervous chuckle and went to his room, shut the door and turned on the TV to hear. A buzz with activity over the restructuring of the College Bowl postseason play. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle are expressing excitement over the agreement. We go live to the Capitol building. Carla, what have we got? Thanks, Gracie. Well, a first is what everyone in the House of Representatives is saying today. The bipartisan flush-free toilet College Bowl restructuring initiative will reap millions for individual participants and their schools, for advertisers, and for the government. I have with me here Representative Mohammed Al-Hadin, Chairman of the Joint Committee. Mo, thanks for meeting with me. It's Casey Olstein now, Carla. He smiled at the camera with the red light. The campaign contribution from the caliphate failed to make it to the congressperson's bank account. Whoops, missed the memo on that one. Sorry, Representative Olstein. Carla always showed her teeth. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited about the initiative. It's the breakthrough we've needed on the college scene for years, and we've finally achieved it. I want to thank my colleagues on both sides of the aisles, ludocrats and lunicans, for making this a priority. Of course, this never would have happened if not for the indefatigable lobbying effort of the colleges and universities across this great nation, which was led by you screws Notre Dame. They've shown what leadership is all about, taking, of course, their example from our great leader, President Micheletti. And I'd like to add that this initiative comes on the heels of that terrible act of terrorism against the Valiant 21 just a few months ago. I can think of no better tribute for those fallen heroes. God bless America. Thank you, Mo. Oops, I mean Casey. Representative Casey Olstein. Gracie, back to you. Good work, Carla. We're going live now to the White House, where President Micheletti has called congressional heads to the Arapahoe Condom Oval Office. Micheletti turned his torso to the right and bent his head toward the camera. My dear congressional leadership, ludocrats and lunicans alike, it is with great pride that I inform you of a stunning victory that our military, along with our allies in the region, have secured in the Mediterranean. The islands of Corsica, Sicily, and Crete now rest completely and securely in friendly hands, and Sardinia will soon follow. I have the guarantees of the former terrorist regimes that they will cease and desist from interfering in the free commerce between us and our partners. God bless you. God bless our troops and their families, and God bless America. Applause. Lars clicked off the TV and tossed the remote on the bed, grabbed his keys and headed down the street, oblivious to the steps of the man half a block behind him. He turned the corner and fumbled for his lighter. Here you go, 
William said as he raised his lighter to Lars's face. You have got to be fucking kidding me. Lars dropped the cigarette when the flame flashed the recognizable features. William slammed him up against the wall and out of the streetlight, gripping the front of Lars's jacket. Lars tightened up. Leave me alone. Yeah, right, like you did for me. Addie called me after I got home and said you came clean about the whole thing. He laughed as he inched his fingers to Lars's shirt collar. You son of a bitch, she called me a liar. You goddamn stupid whore. You have no idea what you fucked up for me. He wrapped his hands around Lars's neck and squeezed. What the fuck did I ever see in you? Lars panted and gripped William's arms, trying to pry the hands apart. Yeah, keep trying. The minute you run, Porciano will find you, and I'll have your balls hanging above the beach house fireplace. He squeezed one last time and pushed Lars's head against the wall. Consider yourself very lucky she's keeping you around, because I'd just as soon cut you up nice and slow. He walked to the corner and got into a waiting car as Lance got out of it. Lars slithered down the wall, wheezing and sniveling, and Lance sat down next to him. Figured you'd need a friend about now. Lars rubbed his throat and looked over. Lance, what's going on? He tried to straighten up. I should ask you, Lars. He fondled Lars's hair and then moved his hand down to his inner thighs. I miss this, don't you? Lars tried to move away, but Lance continued. Sit still, Lars, come on. After what William just told you, I should think you'd be more receptive to this sort of thing especially from me, to whom you owe so much. But I suppose you need an explanation, so listen carefully. William works in the Ministry of Information. Lars stared up at him. No, he doesn't. He works... Lance smiled. Oh, why are the cute ones so dumb? Lars, William is a watcher of sorts. What are you talking about? He is sent out on different missions to guard the security of the nation against our enemies. Your friend Addison is one such enemy. He was spying on Addie? Call it what you want. She is a dangerous element and needed to be monitored, that's all. William saw to it that she didn't get too far into treachery. Your revelations to her about William has brought that project to a close. It's unfortunate that you happen to befriend her, but as you know, Porciana is forgiving. She's giving you one more chance. As I told you in the hotel room not that long ago, she will be expecting to hear from you. Lance, just tell Porciana I want out. I'll pay her back whatever she wants, but I'm making a new start. I won't say anything about any of it. I just want out. Yes, we'd figure you'd say that. Business has picked up for the rest of us. We should thank you. But Porciana is still pretty angry. He put his arm around Lars. I've always liked you, which is why I want to give you some advice. Watch out for yourself. You got a lot inside that head, but we'd much rather have you working this one. 
he rubbed Lars's crotch. Knowledge can be dangerous. You should know this. Lars pulled away and stumbled up, whimpering, Leave me alone, please, Lance. I'm not going to make any trouble. I just want out. Lance stood, laughed, and walked toward the car that had crept down the street. Lars watched them leave and pounded his fist into the wall. He slunk down the street, back to the apartment, and fell on the bed. The next morning, as he began tossing his clothes into his backpack and a trash bag, Rio walked into his room and put his arm around him. Hi and bye, Rio. I was going to leave you a note, a sort of thanks-for-everything-but-it's-time-to-go kind of thing. He crumpled the paper that would have held the words and stuffed it in his bag. Lars, don't. Look, I gotta do some stuff, and I'll be pretty busy. Plus, you don't need me crowding you here. I'll be fine. He picked up his bags and made for the door. Rio stepped in his path. You're not going anywhere. Please, explain, because I'm confused. I know last night was awkward, but come on. What's it take to show you that I fucking love you? Addie and I, that was just a one-time thing. We didn't plan it. And neither of us want a relationship like that. Let's talk about it. Lars looked at him, sighed, and followed him to the living room. You know, when the manager offered me the job at the cafe, I thought it would help pass the time when I wasn't hustling and keep me from blowing my brains out. When I started staying here more, it was better. Well, I mean, really good. He reached for Rio's hand and squeezed as they sat on the couch. They leaned against each other until Rio kissed his head and lifted Lars's chin. So what's wrong? It's not enough. You can really start to write. You don't understand. Rio waited until Lars sat up. It's Addie, Lars said as he stared at the floor. Really? No, not in that way, believe it or not, but it's you and Addie. You guys have been doing a lot together, and that's cool. I got my own thing going on, so it's not like I'm jealous or anything like that. It's cool. Hey, I don't judge. Hmm. What's that supposed to mean? All right, you want to know? Fine. I think you're lying. I think you're jealous of us. Yeah, right, like I want to fuck her. I didn't say that. We're not dating. We're friends. We click. But last night, like I said, it just happened. Forget it and just leave me alone. Lars shrugged off Rio's arm when he felt it on his shoulders. He leaned forward in the silence until the buzzer sounded. That's probably Addie. She wanted to come over. Great. I'll be in my room. He sprang up but didn't move as Rio stood next to him. He let Rio's hand take his. Addie walked in as Lars wrapped his arms around Rio, holding tight. Oh, sorry, guys. I wish I were a photographer right now and not a writer. She snorted her nervousness, but approached as they separated. Listen, Lars, can we talk? Hi, Addie. Really, it's fine. Lars brushed the hair away from his eyes. Please... Addie took his arm and sat with him on the couch. Look, Rio and I have been spending a lot of time talking and enjoying each other's company. 
What happened last night, well, it was just a weak moment. We had been talking about my brother a lot. I know, it sounds kind of twisted, but you two are really great guys, and I can't help but think Victor would have really liked you both. I think that's what first attracted me to you, Lars, and Rio, too. And if you want to know the truth, Lars, I think you are more like my brother, and that's probably what has, um... Kept your hands off of me, he interrupted. <laughs> probably, yes, Addie kissed his cheek. I can say that when I walked in just now, it made me feel really good to see you two as you were. Lars smiled, but leaned forward with a growing cloud surrounding him. Addie guided him back. Lars, what's going on? It's nothing. Rio joined them on the couch. Lars! He sat back, running his fingers through his hair. Well... I had another warning from Porciana. I went for a walk last night to clear my head, and that's when I decided to get out of here. He stared at Addie. But William, I mean Billy, was waiting for me with a message from Porciana. After he left, Lance, that guy I told you about, he restated it. Addie, Billy is a spy. He's been playing you to get information to the government about you. It's all been an act. That bastard! Bulge-eyed, Addie wrapped her arms around Lars. He told you that? Lance did. Billy just slammed me against the wall and told me I screwed everything up for him. Lars rubbed the back of his head. Look, I'm not going to stay and drag you guys into my mess. It's our mess, Lars. Addie softened. Well, they have enough on me, I guess, but why haven't they made a move? Lars moved toward his room. I don't know. Alls I know is that I got a split. You two don't need any more trouble. Rio reached over and kissed his forehead. You're staying. End of story. He went to the kitchen to get some food ready. Addie pulled Lars over towards her. Talk to me. Lars sat back and looked at Addie. The modeling was just the start. The organization is a fucking meat market for entertainers, athletes, and, you know, people like that. Addie, fuck, they made millions off of me. I can't do it anymore. He rammed his head into his hands and pulled his hair. She wrapped her arms around his shoulders and kissed his head. He continued. Once me and Rio started with Lance and then signed on with Porciana, there's no way out. Rio thinks there is, but I know she won't let us go. Sure she will. She can't keep you forever. Rio has his own plans, too, Addie insisted. I told you when we first met that I know a lot of shit, so she is not going to let me go easily. He started crying again. Maybe Rio can make a deal with her, but I can't. He was always better at telling people what they want to hear. He reached under the table, dug out a book from his satchel, and handed it to her. She fingered the rich red leather's hand engraving on the cover. It's beautiful. Pretty shit ugly inside, though. He fell into the couch next to her and wiped his eyes with his arm. It's my journal for the last year. Christ, Addie, they're all in there. 
pretty much every customer Portiana hooked me up with. Politicians from all over the world, businessmen and women, anyone with enough money to buy me. I got all the names, dates, and secrets they told me, and there's more in my other two journals. I started writing about our life after my parents took off. Rio gave me the idea, actually. She handed the book back to him. I had a friend named Bart Krieg, who was my first editor after I got fired. He was on the trail of some pretty screwed-up things connected with the government and thought it was all mixed up with the Guild. He's right. I know, but he was killed six years ago during the 35 Purge. The official record says he died of heart failure, but it's pretty hard to keep your heart beating after your head's been bashed in by a crowbar. What? Yeah, he died of blunt force trauma. Quinn has a friend on the police force who was there after Bart's body was discovered. He stared into her eyes. I can't do this. Yes, you can. She shook her head, and you won't be alone. He nodded. I want to write about what's going on before it's too late, so people know the truth. Where do I start? What do you think? Where do you feel strongest? With this guy, Cody, a stable boy in Kentucky. The murdered kid who found the horses? Yeah. I want people to know what kind of guy he really was and what those sons of bitches did to him. 